couple of um, Sundays ago, we looked at a lesson. We just simply call it, uh, called it Restored. Restored. And I want to build on that lesson uh, this evening. When we looked at this lesson um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was on a Sunday night, and we looked at the importance of God restoring a sinner uh, back to himself, and how that the gospel makes that entirely possible. We mentioned uh, verses like Acts 3, 19 and 20, where the gospel age, the the time in which we live now was referred to as the restoration of all things. The gospel brings us back to God. So restoring the sinner back to God. We also looked at restoring the child of God back to the fold of God. It is possible that a child of God can wander away, James 5, 19 and 20. We can wander away. We can stray away. And God wants us to come back home to Him. He makes it very clear that we can do that and how we can do that. It, it's all about Bible study. We study the Bible, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We study the Bible and sometimes we, we lose our faith. And when we lose our faith, uh, we have to keep studying again. We've got to get back into the Word. So we looked at restoring the child of God back to the Pope. We also looked at restoring our conscience. Boy, how we need a good conscience nowadays. Restoring the conscience. A conscience, according to Paul in Titus 1, 15 and 16, your conscience can become defiled. The conscience is that little device God has put in everybody. We're all made in the image of God. We have a sense of right and wrong within us, but the conscience has to be educated by the Word of God. And so, if it's not educated by the Word of God, it can become defiled. People, many of us, end up doing things we shouldn't do. But a good conscience can be uh, possessed by anyone willing to be educated by the New Testament, be educated by God's Word, and then make the appropriate adjustments in his life. And we looked at also restoring our zeal for God. And so, uh, I want to expand that with you a little bit this evening and go a little bit broader and look at restoring church, restoring the church as a whole. Now, this is a huge subject because of the possibility of chaos. When you look at our nation, it's a very chaotic place right now because of a lack of respect of respect for the rule of law, a lack of respect for um, the Constitution that was laid down many years ago, many, many years ago. When you don't have respect for the rule of law, it's just chaotic. And when you look at the religious world today, you see a lot of chaos because of the very things that we'll be discussing tonight in regard to restoring church. Now, a long time ago in the book of Judges, chapter 21 and verse uh, 25, the situation there is described to us. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. 
Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's a chaotic landscape. And that's what we have in the, in the religious world today because everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. Paul talked about it a little bit in Colossians 2, 22 and 23. He, he mentioned something called will worship. W-I-L-L dash worship. And that basically is everybody going about and worshiping as they see fit, serving as they see fit, creating a religion as they see fit. Paul also in Romans 10, uh, verses 2 and 3, uh, speaking of his Jewish brethren, he said, they have a zeal for God, but, but not according to righteousness. And because they had become ignorant of God's righteousness, they had gone about to develop their own righteousness. That's chaos. When men are trying to create their own righteousness, their own way of being righteous, then it develops a chaotic world. And so it's important for us to understand this idea of restoration, of restoring a church. Here's where I want to go with you tonight. I want to think about the principle of restoration first. And then I want to talk about what God expects when a teaching of His is lost. What does God expect when a teaching of His is lost? And look, some, look at some examples there. And then I want to ask the question, well, uh, are there any lost teachings of God today? And then I want us to understand that the principle that we're discussing tonight can cause us to be very enthusiastic for God. Also from this, we can see that there are some things that cannot change, but there are some things that can change with time. That's important to think about. And then if we have time, we'll look at some opposition to the principle that we're, we're discussing. So let's first get the principle in mind and firmly in our mind. The idea of a restoration on a broad sense. Okay. Here's what I think the Bible teaches and I think you're going to agree. Over thousands of years, over thousands of years, God planned, prophesied, prepared for Jesus to come into the world and to bring His system of teaching with Him. And we firmly believe that He did that, according to what the Bible says. He brought Jesus into the world. Jesus brought His system of teaching with Him. And God set it up through, through um, divinely inspired teachers, mainly the apostles. Okay. John 16, 13, the Spirit guided the apostles into all the truth. So through divinely inspired teachers, God set His system up, and it was set up in such a way that it was exactly as He intended it to be. And since it is set up exactly as he intended it to be, then we must adhere to it. Okay, We must adhere to it. The Bible mentions, like in Galatians 5 and verse 7, the idea of obeying the truth. We obey the truth because God has set this system up like he wants it. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 speaks of obeying the gospel. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 speaks of obeying Jesus. Right. 
Obedience is expected because God has set it up in such a way that it is divinely uh, established. Now, let's look at a few scriptures that, that bear this out. Okay. Let's think about the word pattern. 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, he says, um, hold on to the pattern of sound words, sound teaching. Okay. Behold the pattern of sound words. Hold on to it. Okay. Um, Let's think about some other passages. Like Romans chapter 6, uh, 17. Thanks be to God that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching. There it is, Romans 6, 17. That pattern of teaching that was delivered to you. And when you obey that pattern of teaching, he says you'll be made free from sin and become the servants of righteousness. Now right while you're there, look over to Romans 16, verse 17. Paul says, mark them, mark them, Romans 6, 16, 17, mark them that cause divisions contrary to the doctrine. All right. You see, you see the pattern there? Do you see the principle set up there? Mark them that, that uh, cause divisions contrary to the doctrine. How could you do that if there was not an established Principle that there was an established system of teaching. Paul in 1 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 4 and the first few verses there warns about departing from the faith. Okay. If there's not something already set up, you can't depart from it. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, he says, Preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, the time is coming, he says, when many will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will heat to themselves teachers after their own lust, and being turned away from the truth, they'll turn their ears unto fables. So if there's not already an established truth, then they couldn't turn away their ears from, from it. That's why he says preach the word. You wouldn't have something to preach if the truth was not already set up, if the system of Jesus Christ was not already set up. In Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9, you remember Paul saying, if anybody comes and brings any other gospel unto you other than that which we have brought to you, then let him be accursed. And this is similar to 2 John Verse 9, where John says, Whoever transgresses and, and goes beyond the teaching of Christ, the teaching of Jesus, has not God. But he that abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. And we just mentioned these to show that there was an established pattern, form of doctrine that was clearly set up in the first century. In Acts 2 42, it says the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. Okay. Now turn with me and notice this that we probably don't look at as much. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. 
Now in 1 Timothy 2.8, he's talking about men. The word man here is actually the word for male as opposed to female. Okay. In 1 Timothy 2.4, your older versions, King James versions, will have men there. He desires all men to be saved. The word man there in verse 4 is anthropos, which, which, which refers to all people, male and female. But in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, he's talking about males. Males only. So notice how he says it here. He says, I, de- I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Okay. In other words, Paul's saying God wants men to be doing the praying and the leading in public assemblies. Okay. But notice how he says that this is a, an established practice in every place, not just here, Timothy, where you're at in Ephesus, but in every place we go, this is what we're teaching. See the pattern that has been established there? Notice this um, also back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 right quick. 1 Corinthians 4. To that church, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 4.17 he says, uh, this is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord to you, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Notice that. The things that Timothy will be saying to them are the very things that Paul is saying, not only toward Corinth, but in every place he goes to teach. An established pattern. And so that's the first idea about restoring church is to notice this established teaching, doctrine, if you will, truth, whatever you want to call it, truth, the word, preach the word, whatever you call it, it's established. God laid it down. He had the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to guide the apostles into all the truth, every bit of it, so much so that Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 that the divine knowledge has granted unto them all things that pertain to life and godliness. That covers the full spectrum, doesn't it? Life and godliness. Okay. What do I need to know to uh, live the Christian life? What do I need to know to be godly? Well, Peter says all that's been delivered unto us and we have shared it with you. Now, how long is this to last? Well, notice when Jesus gave the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 20, what did he say? Hmm? Yeah, to the end of the world, to the end of the ages. Okay. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. There's the pattern. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, end of the, end of the ages. Until I come again, this pattern is to be taught. This is huge in reference to establishing the truth in the sight of God. Now, let's also notice the other side of this. The other side of this. In other words, people don't teach it like this. There are some in our 
religious world, neighbors of ours, who would say, yes, God brought Christ into the world, and yes, Christ taught many things, and we are to adhere to several of those things, such as his life on earth and his death on the cross and his resurrection. But then some of the things of Christ and some of the things mentioned in the New Testament do not have to be adhered to. They can, they can be changed. Okay. Now, our question is, who says they can be changed? And then if you get into that little area, then who says which ones can be changed and which ones are to be um, obeyed? Who gets to make that choice? Well, only God gets to make that choice. We can't come along and say, well, we think this part uh, doesn't have to be obeyed, but this part does have to be obeyed. Okay. But that's the other side of this. This is why we have the various different denominational religious, religious groups that we do have, because their ideal of restoration is, yes, we go back to Jesus, but also we have a choice as to what we want to apply today and what we don't want to apply today. And the situation you have then after that is you've got, um, you've got the New Testament, okay, and you've got all these things that God wants us to be submitting to and applying to our lives, but then you've got people saying, I'm not going to do that, but yet God still approves of me. Okay. In other words, you've got what the Bible says, and then you've got people saying, well, that doesn't apply to us today, and then they're looking and saying, but yet God still approves of me. And that is not the case. That's the sad part, is that God, you can't say that. You can't, you can't be that person who says, well, that doesn't apply. That doesn't, I know it says that, but that doesn't apply today. That's, that's dangerous, you see. Okay. It's kind of like we have the restoration movement and the reformation movement where people want to reform the church versus restore. Yeah, Mike is saying there's a big difference in the word reform, reformation, and restoration. And that's the idea. We're not just trying to make things better, but we're trying to uh, be just like uh, they were in the early church because it was meant to be a pattern for us. Okay. All right? If we try to make it better, we are actually saved and we know more than God. True. If we just try to make it better and try to reform it, it just means we're, uh, we think we know more than God. But the idea is that yes... On the other side of this, the idea is, yes, a lot of good things in the New Testament, but yes, things can change with time, or things can change with a, with a particular society or culture, or things can change uh, according to the whims of people, to the desires and likes of people. And we say, no, it can't be that, because we have an established system of truth set up. But that appeals to people today, and it always has, because everybody thinks that, that if it's new, that it must be better. And we have swallowed that so much that we think that should apply in religion as well, that if it's new, then it's better. 
but that's not respecting the principle of going back uh, to Scripture. Okay. So that, in a nutshell, is the principle, and we, we've got to be able to share that. We've got to be able to share just what we went over needs to be part of our whole system. We need to be able to repeat that uh, just like uh, we can repeat anything else to anybody. Okay. It's just got to be part of our makeup. These scriptures we mentioned need to be just just part of our, our mind. We, we've got to know this. This is fundamental to everything that, that we're about. Now, let's address this ideal. What does God expect when a teaching of His is lost? Okay. And we know what the answer to this is. When a teaching of God's is lost, and He expects it to be found and to be restored. And I truly believe that there are examples in the Old Testament that are put there so that we would never forget this. Let's notice a couple. Look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. You'll recall, Nehemiah has to do with the return of the captives from from Babylon, one of the returns. And Nehemiah leads his people to go back and start rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem, restoring things there. Uh, in the, the city. And part of the restoration eventually became um, restoring religion there. Now if you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, you see them reading from the law of God. This is, this is Old Testament, but the principle here is what we're looking at. We're not, we're not uh, laboring under the law of Moses today, of course. We're laboring under the law of Christ, but the principle here is a good illustration. So they're reading and they're studying, but then notice this as you get down to Nehemiah 8:13. It says, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Okay. In other words, they're going to have a little personal Bible study here. And they found they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make the booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made them booths to set in, evidently because it was that time a year. This refers to the Feast of the Tabernacles that was set up under the Law of Moses. I think you can read some background on that from Leviticus 23 and maybe Exodus 23 as well. But notice the principle here is they found, they found that um, there was something that they needed to be observing. They're back. They've been busy rebuilding the walls trying to clean up the rubble in Jerusalem. They're coming out of captivity and they're getting back to the law, the law they were under at that time. And in that law, what is found? Well, we've got to be observing these, these feasts. And one of these feasts was called the Feast of the Tabernacles where they would, they would come and they would build them little booths. And this was to remind them how that God brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness wanderings. The wilderness wanderings was a very much a a uh, up-and-move type existence. You would settle, build camp for a while, 
live in tents and then move on and then do that and then move on. You just you're just following the guidance of God all throughout the wilderness. And this setting up these booths was to remind them of how God brought them through the wilderness those 40 years and finally uh, into the promised land. Okay. So this is what God expects. When, when the teaching of his has been lost, he expects it to be found and restored. Also look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 22 and 23. This is about good King Josiah. How old was Josiah when he began to reign in Judah? Eight years old. Eight years old. But eventually he, he began to be a real good king. It says, Second uh, Kings 22 verse 3, in the 18th year of King Josiah. So how old was Josiah then uh, at this time? All right, 26 years old. And so he began to uh, send uh, people like um, Hilkiah, I believe, yeah, Hilkiah, verse 4 there, the high priest, uh, to the house of the Lord uh, to restore uh, that house, or clean up that house. Uh, before Josiah, there were kings who just made a mess of religion, going over to idolatrous practices. While Hilkiah was there working in the house of God, notice he found the book of the law of God. Okay. And uh, that is uh, verse 8, 2 Kings 22, verse 8. He found the book of the law of God in the house of the Lord. He began to read it. He gave it to Shaphan, the secretary, and he, he came and read it before the king. Now notice verse 11, 2 Kings 22 when the king heard the words of the book of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes. Why? Well, they found out that there were so many things that they have not been doing. And there were so many things written in the law that they were doing that was not right with in God's sight. How did they know that? From what was written down. You see, the power of the word. The power of the word. Power of what God, the power of what God writes down is to, be, uh, is to make an impact into our lives. So Josiah was very humbled by this. He was, he was distressed about this. And so he set about, if you notice in 2 Kings uh, 23, verses 4 to 20, uh, he will clean up, he will take away a lot of the practices of idolatry that had been set up around the house of the Lord. And then notice they will eventually restore the Passover uh, feast, 2 Kings 23, 21 and following. Again, notice the principle involved here. When, God, when a teaching of God is lost, then uh, some things have got to be restored. Uh, without us turning over there right quick, um, what happened with David and the Ark of the Lord? The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, David was moving the ark of the Lord and one of the men moving it, what was the man's name? Uzzah. Uzzah. Didn't mm-hmm. do it the way God said to do it. He said priest and they put it on the top stove. Yeah, they put it on a new cart and they were moving it. Uzzah touched it uh, as it got a little shaky and God struck him down dead. But then when you look at 1 Chronicles 15... David moves it then, and he does it properly, according to the word 
of the Lord. In fact, um, the statement there is something that needs to be looked at. Look at First Chronicles 15 real fast and... David's giving instructions to the Levites who are supposed to be carrying it. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 15, 13. He says, Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek Him according to the rule. This is restoration right here. David realizing that the first time we did not do it according to God's way, God's rule, God's commandment. We're going to do it right this time. That's all we're asking of the, of, the, of the world. This is all God is asking of us. Okay. And so these principles here. When Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce, Matthew 19, verse 3, what did he say? Yeah, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning, God wanted marriage restored to its original way, and Jesus come uh, to do that. So, uh, that's what God wants to happen when a teaching of His has been, has been lost. The same principle today. Okay. And so we get to the question, okay, are there any teachings of God that have been lost among men today? You think about the boy Jesus who got lost from his parents when he was 12 years old. Uh, he wasn't out in the wilderness somewhere. He was right there in the midst of the people, but he was still lost. There are teachings among us, among our society, that are lost in society. They're lost right in the mix of things. So what teachings have been lost? Well, it might be better to say what teachings have not been lost. Uh, just about, that's why it's so chaotic out here and... and that's why it's so important for us to, to be sharing this principle with the world. You name it, under the teaching of Jesus and just about everything that he's ever taught has been perverted. It's been, it's been lost among men. Men have been taught to ignore baptism as a, essential for salvation. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for us to... Um, to be ashamed of this teaching is too plain to miss. Right. So that teaching uh, has been lost among men. The identity of the church has been lost among men. You can just name a lot of things. And that's why it's so important to go back uh, to, this, to this principle. For us, you know, we must make sure that the teachings of the Lord don't get lost. Especially uh, for us, maybe we need to think more about you know, personal evangelism. And, you know, Acts 8 verse 4 says uh, those Christians in um, Jerusalem in that early day, we're not talking about preachers here, we're talking about Christians, we're talking about just regular people who obeyed the gospel and were serving the Lord. Um, they began to be persecuted. They were, so they scattered about, but as they scattered about, they took the word of God with them. They went everywhere teaching the word. And that's, that's so desperately needed uh, today. We mentioned Sunday morning, Luke seven forty seven. That That inspires us because uh, 
To whom little is forgiven, then the same loves little, and to whom much is forgiven, the same loves a lot. Okay. The more we appreciate our salvation, then the more we're going to want to, to share that uh, with other people. And this is an example of that in Acts 8, uh, verse 4. Now, let's think about this next part here. What makes this um, ideal uh, so exciting? Let me, you answer that. We've got five or six minutes here. You answer, what, what is exciting about this restoration principle? What's exciting about it? The, opposi- the opposition of it is very chaotic. Okay. Uh, but what's exciting about it? Okay, we can be saved and have a, a standard to live by. Okay. Realize the beauty that lies underneath layers of units and dishes. When you just like restoring a piece of furniture, as years of buildup of painting and lacquer, you strip all that off, restoring it, and you find beautiful wood. Mm-hmm. That's the same as God's truth. Okay. Larry's comparing it to restoring furniture. After many years, furniture gets a lot of uh, things built up on it. But uh, when you um, scrub that down, when you when you work on that, you find the beauty that's underneath. You restore that, and that's there is a um, there, there are layers of corruption that have been laid on top of the simple teaching of Jesus, and uh, we we've got to find it and and help people see it. Go ahead. Let's say the exciting part when you read the examples is that when there's a return, there's blessings that follow. Yeah. Right. The blessings that that accompany. When they return, there's blessings that follow from God. Okay. What kind of blessings do you think? Yeah. I mean, anytime that God's people return to Him, He blessed their nation. Right. Immeasurably. So while we could have expect the same thing. Okay. Uh, Aaron's bringing up in the Old Testament, any time a nation would return to God, then they would receive the blessings. And certainly, when we return to His way today, that, that same thing can follow. Yeah, that's good. One thing that was exciting to the Jews when they heard they could obey the gospel was that the Holy Spirit would be upon all of them and be in all of them. That wasn't so in the Old Testament. Only some kings, only the prophets. Only the priest, only a few people would, uh, certain people would get the Holy Spirit of God. But the promise was to all them that were far off that they would have the Holy Spirit within them along with salvation. Okay. And that was good news to them. That was prophesied of Joel too, fall upon the apostles, as well as everybody could have God's Spirit. So Mike is referring to Acts uh, 2. Uh, speaking of the promise of salvation and the presence of God uh, in our lives, that's a promise to everybody, to, uh, to those who are near and those who are far off. Okay? Good. All right. The exciting thing to me is that you can, you can know what you must believe. You can know what you believe. You can know why you believe it and what you believe. Okay? You can know that you know it. Okay? And then you can know right from wrong. We don't have to walk around guessing and wonder if this is right or wrong. Okay. And that enables us to be able to know exactly what to teach to our children. 
We don't have to guess about it. Our children will absolutely love us because we're giving them a standard of living. We're giving them something that will go with them for the rest of their lives. We're doing God's will in the lives of our children. And it gives us such assurance. That's why, that's why God brought us back uh, to this first teaching, the system of Jesus. It gives us such great assurance. And then more than all this, we can call other people to this. I believe that other people can see this. If we will just sit down with them and, uh, and let them see what, what is seen in Scripture, let them be able to just peel away anything they've ever heard before and just let the Scripture uh, do its thing, uh, work upon them, then it's just, as Larry said, it's just a thing of beauty. So we can just know what we believe. Anytime there's a pattern, there are things that will always remain the same, and there will be things that can be changed. And this, this ideal helps us see that. For example, the early church met on the first day of the week to worship. Okay? That's non-negotiable. That's non-negotiable. We meet on the first day of the week. Now, the things that can be changed is maybe where you meet. Or what, pl- what kind of place? You're going to build something to meet in? You're going to meet at somebody's house? You're going to, build, you're going to rent a building? That, that can be changed over time. But the meeting on the first day of the week uh, cannot be changed. As you meet on the first day of the week, you've got to take the Lord's Supper and be involved in all the acts of worship. It's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Okay. Now, how you distribute the Lord's Supper, as we have been finding out this year, uh, can be done differently, right? It can be done differently. We've, over the years, we've passed the plate, but now we've got this... Um, this other package. Okay. I didn't know until this year, Brother Nathan, that the unleavened bread was self-dissolving. You know, just, it kind of just dissolves in your mouth on its own. You know, new experience for me. But we have this, we have this ability. We're thankful that, that when we need to, we can just pack out, uh, pass out the emblems in this way. And, uh, but that kind of thing can change, you know, we, we were passing the plate for our collection, but now we just drop it off in the, in the foyer, and that kind of thing can change from time to time. But the idea of what we do in worship cannot change because it's part of uh, God's pattern. Speaking of God's pattern, you know, it's clear from God's pattern that when, when we have something to support financially, then that is to be done through the free will offerings of the members. We, we don't do um, fundraisers. Okay, that's not how we support the work of the church. We don't, we don't sell donuts. Okay? Now, we eat donuts when there's opportunities. But we don't sell them. Okay? We, don't, we don't sell them. Okay? We don't create benefit dinners. Right? But I've seen, even in the brotherhood, some of this creeping into our our ways, and we, we need to just stick with the pattern. Okay? If it's something that we cannot afford to do through our simple giving, then it's something that we just cannot do. You know, we don't go and start... You know, the uh, denominational world, like, like, they like to play the match game. Okay? They'll get this donor who says, all right, I'm giving so much money, but then I'm going to give more money if your people will match what I'm planning on giving. And then by matching that giving, then they've raised 
We don't do that kind of stuff. We don't do play the match game. It's just simple volunteer giving motivated by the fact that Jesus gave himself uh, for us on the cross. Okay. Well, thank you so much for working through some of these thoughts and scriptures uh, together. And I think you can see how important it is for us to discuss this. I know this is not new to, to most of us, but it's very, very important uh, in our quest to do and be what God want, wants us to be.